Hi everyone and welcome to another Firms Consulting Podcast. Today I want to talk about the book Partnership, one of our most popular books, which has probably the highest wait list of any book. Um, the book was written by an ex-partner who is currently still serving as a senior partner at one of the big three consulting firms. Uh, we use the pseudonym um, Terence so that we could hide his identity and allow him to be quite direct in sharing his ideas in terms of his life. It's basically it's a biography for you know all intensive purposes where he talks about his life all the way from you know just at the phase where he's working for Pepsi Cola and he leaves and he goes on to join um, a manager management consulting firm and build his career all the way up to partnership. And I edited this book, Michael, and um, when editing this book I, I was very careful not to change the messages and the style of writing because the style of this author's writing is very different from everything else you see in firms consulting you know we are very much focused on values and extracting the underlying principles while the author was more focused on talking you through his sort of um, rapid list of activities that he engaged in and when he did go into substance i noticed it was well at least in the first half of the book less on personal issues and more on the work he did, which is kind of ironic because if you continue reading the book all the way to the end, you will understand much later that his personal issues drive many of the things he does in a professional environment, in his you know marriage and lack of a marriage when he gets divorced, and all the actions he takes. And he only delves on that later. So I tried to keep that style of writing because I didn't want to change it. I think it's an unusual style of writing. And I was very candid with the author that I want him to talk about all of the mistakes he makes, talk about the things he's not proud of. You know, we will make sure that his identity is preserved. But I did want a no-holds-barred view on things. And the book is, I think, a useful read because it introduces you to the messy side of management consulting. And in this podcast, I'm going to talk about five major lessons, I think, that you will get from reading this book. I'll start with the first one. And I get this as well, where, you know, people or aspiring consultants, when they talk to me, they talk to Kevin or any of the other, you know, firms consulting ex-partners, we are all, you know, partners in, um, you know, the major consulting firms. And there's this belief that we are perfect, you know, that we've had this illustrious career and, you know, we've gone to big schools like Harvard, Oxford, um, Wharton and so on. And it's just obvious that we must have had this great careers and everything's perfect for us. And I think the first message that this book delivers better than anything else I've seen is that the life of a partner is not perfect. You know, when you are 26 or 27 and you're doing your MBA or 30, whatever your age is, and you're applying to join as an associate or even as a business analyst, consultant, whatever the title is at the firm's, you look up and you see these partners and you think, why, if I just became a partner, everything would be perfect for me. But you you should know that's not true because the human psyche adjusts. As you become closer to becoming a partner, your views on the world change, you've matured, and you actually realize that being a partner is not everything. So when you're 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, and you're thinking about being a partner, you you will fool yourself into thinking that's all you need to be successful in life, earning a salary between half a million dollars to a million dollars a year. But when you actually get closer to the point, your mind's 
is actually regresses to the point you were when you were 25 in your late 20s, whereby when you get to being a partner, you've actually changed. The context has changed. The people you engage with are earning multiples of millions of dollars. Yes, sure, you're a partner, but you're a partner no one listens to. Great, you're a partner, but you're unemployed. You're not unemployed. You're not married, and you live a pretty pathetic personal life. My point is, there's no such thing as the pinnacle. You know, consulting firms want you to think you've reached this pinnacle as being a partner. It's a big achievement, obviously, but the reality is, it's not as big as achievement as you think it is. And I think Terence Plains, you know, he he does the best job I've ever seen anyone do of painting that picture of accomplishment as the pages progress from page 1 all the way to page 280, but at the same time, his personal regression and how he becomes more and more hollowed out. When I say more and more hollowed out, I mean, the book lays it all out. I mean, the guy goes from, you know, being quite happily married to, you know, cheating on his wife. Um, He has, you know, multiple affairs. And basically, his entire effort at working in different cities is to meet new people, right? He's quite honest about it. I think his personal life is his personal life, and and I admire him for being able to share that. He's written one of the most provocative podcasts, so one of the most provocative articles in the history of firms consulting, which is called Sin City, the Dark Side of Management Consulting, which was, you know, for me it was a bit controversial, but I think it was an important message to say. So my point is, you know, you're not perfect to become a partner, and when when you're young and you're looking at a partner, don't project this perfection onto them. It's what we do as human beings. You know, we do that all the time with our politicians. We want them to be perfect. The reality is people like Nelson Mandela, Winston Churchill were not perfect. They were womanizers and drunks. I mean, sure, I mean, pretty sure the Nelson Mandela clan is going to come chasing after me, but the reality is it's the truth. It doesn't diminish what they've accomplished. It's just that they're human and they have human needs. And, And I think that's the thing you've got to see with partners. And Terence has been very, very, very I think, confident in stating that and not criticizing himself for saying this is what he did, it's a fact. And I think that the first lesson, perfection is not synonymous with being a partner. Yeah, you're perfect in the way you solve problems, but your perfect li- you know, your personal life is a whole different story. The, the next lesson here is that you know, if you go into a consulting firm trying to find yourself, you're going to end up being more lost than you could have ever imagined. And that's a very important point I want to delve on a little bit here. You know, when you're a 23, 24-year-old brown graduate, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, trying to find your feet in the world, it is perfectly conceivable that you're not sure where you want to end up. And you pick consulting because everyone's going there, deciding that you're going to find yourself and you're going to, you know, prosper. Now, I can assure you you're not going to find yourself. It is a very competitive environment. It is, you know, an environment where the strongest and the smartest and the most emotionally intelligent who can land on their feet survive. And that's just the way it is. Now, if you go in there thinking, okay, everyone talks about the values of consulting firms and the fact that they're so supportive and so on. Let me go in and find myself. You're not going to find yourself. This is not a place for emotional immaturity. And I see that a lot of times with people. They get in, but they're not really ready for the rigorousness and the toughness of what's expected of them. And they don't make it. They have to leave after two years, three years. Basically, you don't get promoted. Whatever excuse you give me about why you left McKinsey and not getting promoted, I'm not interested in it. 
as far as I'm concerned, if you left PCG and McKinsey without a promotion, you were asked to leave, right? No one goes through all that pain and trouble and sacrifice to leave after, what, one year, two years. No matter what someone says, when I see a resume and I see someone says, oh, Michael, you know, you worked at this firm, I worked at this firm, let's, you know, catch up, but I only, you know, I left before I was promoted. I, in my mind, you were asked to be, you know, managed out. Now, I do find that a lot of people are naive. They they buy into this, you know, utopian image, and consulting firms are not utopian. It's a very, very efficient industry where it's constantly culling out the best people. Now, the reason why the writing that you see is so warm is because the people who thrive in an environment do the writing. There's nothing cutthroat or backstabbing-like or negative about the industry. This is an industry that thrives on promoting the best and culling the rest. Now, if you feel that you're not sure where you're going to end up, but you want to find yourself in management consulting, I would say that you have to be almost a psychopath to get away with it. And I would say, to some extent, it's just, you know, turns as a psychopath. Now, when I use the word psychopath, we think of, you know, silence of the lambs and so on. It's, it's introduced negative connotations, but psychopath is basically uh, a psychological term or psychiatry, you know, a term in psychiatry in the sense that you're someone who's able to almost divorce emotion from your behavior. And that's not bad or good. It's just a behavioral trait you have. We've just see a psychopath as being negative because that's what the media tells us. But if you're going in there to find yourself and you wear your emotions on your sleeve, your confusion, your lack of confidence, you're going to get eaten up. Uh, Terence is a pretty good example of someone, I think, who shows how he hides his, um, I would say, lack of confidence, his lack of awareness. But it is a lesson, you know, don't go to consulting firms to find yourself. You're not going to do very well. But I definitely think you've got to read the chapters in it towards the middle when he talks about how he was about to become a partner and how these things became an issue with some of the partners who wanted to give him, you know, who were going to sit in his performance evaluation and plan his future and how he managed it. I think he's pretty good at divorcing confidence from context and confidence from content. I always recommend people to do that, but his techniques to do that, I would say, are second to none, right? Now, the third lesson here, and and I'll say this because I've left the firm and I can say it, is that, you know, not every partner is doing the most creative work in the world. I mean, some of these guys are just doing cookie-cutter solutions. Some of these people, and I look at them and I say, how in the world did you become a partner? You know, is there some way for us to retract your membership from this club? Because you are, a, you know, you're basically a disgrace to the community. You go from one client to the other in the sector and you do the same work. I mean, what's the creativity in that? Now, you know, junior people are always, you know, telling you, oh, the firm's wonderful, the firm's good. Of course, what are they going to say, you know? It's like someone who has a baby, you know, they're never going to say it was the worst decision in their life. They're, they're, they're vested in it. You know, I remember reading the story of the number one salesperson for Mercedes. Um, she's a Singaporean lady and her mother used to clean, I think she used to clean the lavatory and clean the corridors of um Changi Airport. I think it's called Changi Airport in Singapore. And this lady was talking about how to be a good salesperson. She said that a good tactic when you want to uh, get positive feedback and get an endorsement is to call someone immediately after they've bought a $100,000 Mercedes and ask them what their family thinks of it. Because of egos, people will never say my family thought it was a disaster. They'll always say it was great. And it's the same thing here. You speak to junior people, associates, managers, they have no clue what is going on. I mean, they basically respond for one piece of a study. For all they know, the partner tells them it's creative, they're just going to go with that, right? The reality is that 
you can be a very successful partner by not doing creative work. It's it's a fact. There are many successful partners today not doing creative work. I don't know why they're in the system, but the system isn't perfect, right? These are humans running it. There's going to be mistakes. You're going to get a Rajat Gupta going all the way to the top. You're going to get all kinds of scandals. And my point is, you can get to partnership without being creative. It 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 happens. But the question is, do you want to get to partnership without being creative? And I would say no. Because at the end of the day, the partners who do get there in that way, they're not going to achieve much. They'll be wealthy. They'll own a home in Connecticut. They'll have another home maybe in, I don't know, where do Americans buy homes for summer? Maybe Arizona, Florida, California. They'll, you know, have a mistress and a wife. They'll drive a f- maybe a Ferrari, a Mercedes, a Porsche, whatever partners drive. They'll send their kids to some, you know, nice... Um, you know, boarding school or you know, fancy school like in that show, you know, Pretty Little Liars or, or so on, and you know, they'll live a good life. But good is good enough. And my point is that, you know, when you read this book, it, it, the one thing that worried me about the book is it does it seduce people into thinking that cutting corners is the way to go? And and I thought very carefully when we published the book. And I think that you must not take that lesson out of it. Yes, you can go all the way to the top, but what kind of person do you become when you become a partner at that point? Now, I know all of you listening to this are going to say, wow, I I can live with that. I can live with earning a million dollars a year if I become that person. But let me tell you something. When you earn a million dollars a year, it's not enough. You want two million. When you have two million, you want five million. When you want five million, you want ten million. When you want ten million, you want... 100 million, you want 100 million, you want a billion. That's the basis of capitalism. It feeds on our on our need to be better than everyone else. So now, if you train yourself to be a partner who just does what is required, yeah, you'll get to the top, but you eventually will be cutting corners, and I don't want you to do that. So when you're listening to this book, or well, reading this book, and thinking about how this partner, Terence, got to the top, it's not a best practice. It's more a tragedy, in my opinion. But a tragedy is willing to share, right? My my fourth lesson, yeah, the fourth lesson I extract is that now I've always told people that if you want to be a great consultant, have a very stable personal life, because when you have an unstable personal life and you, you know, basically fighting a war on two fronts, you're trying to succeed in the office and you're trying to succeed in the home. You can't fight a one two fronts. You basically, you know, you're going to be di- diverting resources. Like, you know, the, the Germans learned that when they're trying to invade the Russians. The French learned that when they also tried to invade the Russians. You know, don't fight a war on two fronts. Or maybe the lesson is don't fight with the Russians, right? But that's a different story. My point is that Terence is the opposite of that. He's a guy whose personal life is always in turmoil. He's always either falling in love with someone or falling out of love with someone. And at the same time, a third option he's pursuing is trying to figure out if he can fall in love with someone. And I think the the common theme throughout the book is, and he talks about this personal life more towards the midpoint, and it gets more interesting, is that you know, when he, he writes about the book till the midpoint, and then at the midpoint he almost goes back and talks about what happened in his personal life during the stories earlier and how that led up to partnership. But he's a guy who was constantly you know, in turmoil in his personal life. Some of the things he does is, I would say, criminal maybe. Well, not criminal, but, you know, he's definitely frowned upon. And you've got to ask yourself, you know, is is this a role model? Now, the reality is that, you know, when when we decide to publish this book, do we do we publish a book about what we want people to be like? Or do we publish a book that reflects what people are really like? Now, I'm totally against writing about things that we want people to adhere to that does not reflect 
true human behavior. That would make us a, con a conservative organization, which we're not, right? Our philosophy is that we will call a spade a spade. And if you are this way, you are this way. Now, the one positive lesson I would think from this book is that, you know, Terence shows us that you can be an epic disaster in your personal life, but still be pretty successful personally. So when I read the book and I read the drafts, especially, you know, over three years ago, at that, you know, when we first um, commissioned the book, I would say I was a bit surprised that he had accomplished so much with so many balls in the air and juggling so many things. But at the end of the day, I think it is good to know that you don't have to be perfect, not just career-wise, but personally to have achieved so much. The, the fifth lesson, which I think is quite important here, is the fact that, you know, I kind of get the feeling that Terence never achieves fulfillment. And I speak to the guy every week, you know, we always keep touch. He's a I wouldn't say uh, you know, the best of buddies, but we are good friends. And I know exactly what he's up to and where he's going and what he's got planned and so on. But I look at him and, you know, he's a very successful partner. Um, he's very successful, not just on the, se on the sense that he became a partner, but financially successful. He's successful in the sense that he's being able to build a life that, that incorporates the quirks he has rather than doing what most people do, which is build a life that tries to hide their quirks. So he's quite open about the way he is, right? And, But on the other hand, is he fulfilled? I, I kind of get the sense that Terence is a he's, he's a... he's a He's got a brilliant business mind trapped in the body of a man that's powered by a 20-year-old frat boy. Now... You may ask yourself and say, oh, why, can, why should I read this book? I mean, obviously, you know, Dominic Barton is not like this, the CEO of the managing partner of McKinsey, but how do you know? My point is, we, we, we look at the book and call it, in some ways, a tragedy, a life-learning lesson, and so on, but on the flip side, is it really that, or is it an ultimate example of success whereby someone builds a career for themselves, that incorporates their childlike behavior. We, at the end of the day, we all have childlike behavior. We just hide it very well or we find ways to bring it out. I mean, I, I know it. I know most of the senior partners and most of the managing partners. And if you put them in a safe environment, I'm not saying they do ridiculous things, but they, they don't act the way you think they would act, right? So the ultimate question here is that, and the lesson here is, is Terence fulfilled? And when I initially read the notes, I thought, no. But then after thinking of this for a few months and over the year, I, the question kind of came around and said that maybe Ter Terence is the ultimate example of fulfillment because he's crafted a life for him that does not belittle and ostracize and persecute his quirks, but kind of brings it out there to the forefront and makes it quite natural. Now, I don't have the answers to these things. I mean, I personally would not do some of the things he did, but that doesn't make it wrong, right? I think when, you, when you're reading the, the this book, and you're thinking about the lessons, keep these four considerations in mind. Is perfection necessary to be successful? Are you looking to find yourself? And what's going to happen if you go to an environment that you think is friendly towards someone in that phase of their life but is not? Third, you know, how creative do you have to be? Fourth, how do you manage personal issues and balance professional issues? And fifth, what is the definition of fulfillment? Is it maturity 
or building a life that manages your immaturity or building a life that accepts your immaturity or building a life that enhances your immaturity but lets you get away with it but these are difficult questions they're not things that i'm expecting any of you to have the answers to but they are things you need to think about because let me tell you the decisions you make now in your 20s and early 30s you may think you have time to get out of it but once you get onto the treadmill before you know it, you're 45, 50. I mean, I was lucky to leave a lot earlier because I made partner very early and I could you know, ask myself these questions. I'm not saying I have regrets leaving. I'm not saying I wanted to leave. I'm not saying I'd recommend that path. But you don't want to be having these discussions when you're in your late 40s and early 50s and it's too late to change it. You can't go back and be a 30-year-old, a late you know, 20-year-old when you're 55 and trying to live your life. So the ultimate question raised in this book is, is who are you and who do you want to be and can you get that from a management consulting career and I think the book raises that in a very good way because it's heavy on technical details of management consulting and it kind of takes a flashback from the midpoint onwards and says okay let's go back and see what is happening I, I think that's a brilliant way of managing things I hope you enjoy the book I certainly have and I continue to read the book for new ideas and new ways of thinking about it actually my viewpoint on this book has almost matured and mellowed over time Initially thinking that, you know what, this guy is a disaster. It's worth sharing it to. You know what, he may have. I'm not saying he's, he's a role model. He's definitely not a role model. But is he someone who's actually found a way to share some very compelling life lessons that we we don't want to share because we want perfection or we don't want to hear about because we project this idea of perfection that we want to see in our leaders? There are no answers. But asking the right questions is sometimes much more important.